You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. There are so many things that nobody really thinks about when they think about missing persons cases. People will generally say things like, I'm so sorry, or I can't even imagine. And of course, those things are true. Putting yourself into the shoes of someone who has lost a loved one, especially a child, is something that we hope we never have to fully understand. This week, I want to talk about a case where a mother has been quite open about one of the hardest things to deal with when your loved one is part of an unsolved case. Of course, there is limitless grief, concern, worry, wonder, and all of the emotions that circle non-stop through one's mind when they don't even know if their loved one is alive, let alone what happened to them. The issue that many don't think about is the calls that can come at any time from people of all walks of life who will claim to tell you that they know what happened in a story that doesn't have its final chapter. Debbie Just from Midland, Ontario has taken many of those calls and sadly does not know what happened to her son on Devil's Night 1998 in Midland, Ontario, Canada. Hello. My name is Lance, and welcome to episode 78 of Gone But Never Forgotten. So many calls, and still no answers. The Disappearance of Jake Just. From all accounts, Jake Nicholas Just was a man who was fun-loving, a bit of a clown, caring, and he had a very big heart. Jake's mom, Debbie Just, says that he would always be the first person to take a stray animal into the house to feed and care for it, and that was how he felt about any living thing that was down on its luck. Jake also loved music. He played guitar and he also loved to sing. Jake was a popular young man who had a lot of friends, and like most young men, he liked to party with his friends. That was what Jake was planning to do when he said goodbye to his mom on October 30th of 1998. He was ramping his life up in preparations to go to college, and he was heading out to have a fun night with his friends. Jake's destination on that night was a friend's house for a house party in a smaller subdivision just outside of Midland. There are varying stories on what happened at the party and what happened after Jake left the party, but I'm going to mostly focus first on what seems to be 
the most widely reported and believed story, and we can look at some of the other theories that have come up over the years and all of the ins and outs that people have said or believed in the nearly 25 years since Jake went missing. So, as the night wore on and the party got a little more drunken and a little more out there, it's been said that Jake and his friends started to smash beer bottles and that they even started to break beer bottles over one another's heads. As one can only imagine if you've ever heard of or seen someone get quote-unquote bottled before, this is incredibly dangerous and frankly not all that bright. One of the rumors that we will look at a bit more later that seems to have not been completely confirmed is that Jake wound up getting a fairly bad cut on his head from those shenanigans and that around midnight Jake and one of his friends would leave the party and start their walk home and back to town. Whether they left to try and get Jake some help for his cut or they left for other reasons seems to not completely be confirmed. As Jake and his friend got to Sunnyside Woods in Midland, they paused because it was a well-known shortcut in the area. As they got to the split where they could choose whether they wanted to walk through the wooded and dimly lit area or stick to the longer road on the streets, they seemed to have a difference of opinions. Jake's friend chose to stick with taking the safer and longer path while Jake opted to take the path through Sunnyside Woods instead. The two did agree to meet up on the other side of the path, though, where it again met up on the street. So it sounds like Jake just wanted to take the road less traveled, so to speak. However, Jake did not ever appear again on the other side of that path at the agreed-upon meeting place. On Halloween day, Jake's mom, Debbie, would call police and report her son as missing after he didn't come home after the party and after she didn't hear from him at all. The final straw came when his friends started to call the house to talk to Jake. When evening came, she realized that she needed to get something started. Debbie would speak to Midland Police Officer Jim Redinger. As the investigation into the missing person report started, the focus would mostly seem to center around Sunnyside Woods, as that was the last place that police could place Jake. From everything that they knew, they knew that he had walked into the woods but had never emerged. Unfortunately, police did not come up with Jake, any evidence of Jake, any clothing or property that belonged to Jake, or, well, anything to do with Jake. Investigators would spend eight days combing the area and looking for anything that could help to guide their investigation, but they quite literally came up empty-handed. The real problem that investigators were facing, aside from the fact that they couldn't find Jake, was that they had no idea how to proceed outside of Sunnyside Woods. Knowing that Jake quite possibly had some sort of head injury, they couldn't even begin to imagine where Jake may have headed. There was no way to tell how he may have acted, or what direction he may have chosen to traverse in the state that he was in, inebriated, and quite possibly concussed. 
As anyone that has ever read about or been a part of a search knows, once you open up the world outside of your perimeter, you literally open up the entire world outside of that perimeter. Over the eight days of searching, hundreds of volunteers would help to look for Jake, including almost all of the young people in town, whether they knew him or not. The forests, the marshes, and everything in the immediate area was searched high and low. Three years later, a renewed effort would take hold to try and get some idea of what had happened to Jake, but those searches came back just as empty as the ones that took place immediately after he disappeared. Investigators did their part also to try and flesh out any kind of idea of what may have happened, and they interviewed hundreds of people who knew Jake and who had been around Jake leading up to his disappearance. Two of the people that they spoke with were boys that Jake had previously had beef with and gotten into a fight with. The problem was that it was hard to even believe that Jake may get into any trouble physically. He was very well versed in martial arts and he was also a very big guy. He weighed about 170 pounds and he was 6 foot 2. Debbie believed that Jake could take care of himself, even if he was in bad shape to begin with. With the two aforementioned boys, Jake had his hair ripped out and his nose busted up pretty badly in two different fights. However, Jake tried to defend himself on both occasions using his martial arts, but wound up having to fight hard when they did not stop. Investigators seem satisfied, though, that the two boys did not have anything to do with the disappearance of Jake. So, what that all left in the end was more questions than answers. Over the years, there have been rumors, opinions, theories, and more surrounding this case, of course. Some people have said that perhaps Jake could have stumbled into a wrong area of the marshlands and wound up in a boggy swamp where he could have eventually been swallowed up and by the earth and the water around him like quicksand. Bog can act almost like a quicksand and potentially could explain why there was never any sign of him ever recovered. Part of the search, however, would seem to argue that idea. It was deemed by people searching that the area around the marshlands and swamp in question had not seen any activity for likely days before Jake had disappeared. There have been varying other theories, including many floated by psychics that have contacted Debbie to try and get the case closed. One theory that came from a psychic was that Jake had made it to the other side of the path only to be hit by a car. She said that after he was hit by the car, the people in the car had taken his body and taken it to dispose of somewhere else. Obviously, there has never been anything to prove that theory. There have also been other theories or stories over the years that have extrapolated a bit on what happened after Jake left the party. One such story says that two boys from the party were very irritated by Jake and his friend's actions of smashing the bottles, and that they had followed Jake and his friend and chased Jake into the forest. Obviously, as the years go by, more tales come up. 
Stories change like a game of broken telephone, and sadly none of those stories are getting us any closer to truly knowing what happened to Jake. In May of 2019, almost 21 years after Jake had gone missing, a friend of Jake's would reach out to Simcoe.com reporters and say that he had given a tip to police that was never investigated. He said that he had gotten in touch with Crime Stoppers and also had gone and spoke to an OPP officer. The friend in question was Dan Gratrix. Dan said that he had been told by a friend who he trusted greatly that Jake had actually made it out of the forest and he had gone to another house party on 4th Street. At that party, he said that Jake had been dragged out of the house party by drug dealers, beaten, killed, and then buried underneath a pier in an isolated area on the shores of Georgian Bay. Dan would go on to say that the person that had told him that story was someone that he had known since he was 10 years old, and that he had no reason to believe that the friend would lie about any of that. Dan said that the people that the friend mentioned were also known to Jake, as they all knew each other in high school and had dealt marijuana together. By they, Dan means all of them, including Jake. Dan would say that Jake got into trouble with them because he started cutting the marijuana that he was selling and keeping some for himself. For what it's worth, Debbie says that she doesn't necessarily believe the story and says that she doesn't think that sounds like something that Jake would have gotten himself caught up in. But, nonetheless, she hoped in 2019 that that would get Jake's story going again in the media and help to find some answers. While police have said that Dan and his story are on their radar, it's unknown if the story has ever been looked into at great length, now four years later. They've also said in the past that while the names of the drug dealers are people that are known to them, they do not see any tie-in to the disappearance of Jake Just. As I alluded to off the top, this episode, uh, one of the worst things when a loved one goes missing, I think, is all of the stories and all of the people that can come out of the woodwork. You hear tales about your loved ones, and you're really left to wonder what is true. For example, whether Jake was involved in any way in selling drugs. But you also get all kinds of weird situations. Debbie recalls a day where she received an anonymous phone call with a voice telling her to meet her at meet them at the church. Debbie of course informed police and was wired up with undercover police nearby in case things went awry. A young man would show up at the church and after all of that simply say, quote, "Your son is with God." Unquote. Debbie also says that that was far from the only call that she ever received. She said that calls came at all times, and people would just call her and tell her random things. On one call that she remembers, she the caller told her that her son was in a freezer in Sunnyside, and that he was going to die there if she didn't get to him by the morning. Over the years, as painful as it has been, Debbie says that she records every call that she gets and forwards it to the police in hopes that something, anything, will lead to some sort of answers in the disappearance of her son. 
Sadly, police are no closer to solving this case than they were when Jake went missing. And Debbie has also said that since the Midland police were overtaken by the OPP, she has not received any calls from them. She says that she fears that Jake's case will simply rot away as a cold case and she will never get the answers that she so dearly desires and deserves. If you have any information regarding what happened to Jake Just nearly 25 years ago now, please don't hold it in any longer. Please get in touch with Crime Stoppers online or by calling them at 1-800-222-TIPS. Or you can call the Midland OPP at 705-526-3761. As I always do, I come alongside everyone involved here and implore you to share what you know. You truly never know what could break a case or solve a case and bring years of torment to an end for a family that lost their young son in one way, shape, or form on October 31st of 1998. And that puts a wrap on this week's case. It's truly and genuinely heartbreaking to hear about the sheer number of people that have gone missing and have never had a conclusion come to their case, much like Jake Just. I don't think that any of us can honestly comprehend what it would be like to have a child simply disappear from the face of the earth, essentially, let alone understand how one is supposed to handle such an incredible loss. I think one of the most saddening things that Debbie has said was that when she said that when your child reaches the age of 18, you start to figure that your work is essentially done. You've navigated them beyond and through most of the hardships that can happen to your child, and then something like this happens. It's insurmountable. You live the rest of your life worrying, hoping, wondering, and hurting, no doubt. In closing this week, I want to remind you to reach out if you have a case that you would like to see covered here on the podcast. You can send me an email at any time at gbnfpod at gmail.com or find me on any social medias that we have. Also, if you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating, a follow, a like, leave us a review, and most importantly, tell a friend about GBNF. Every little bit helps. You can also sponsor the show by signing up over on Patreon or by making a one-time donation. We love your support, and we love your listenership. I personally love sharing stories. I love writing stories, and I love getting to know all of you goners. So, most importantly, make sure that you come back here next week for another episode of Gone But Never Forgotten. And of course, don't forget to be better.